Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. If this verse isn't familiar to you, it's a great verse to be mindful of. And it says, the fruit of the Spirit... What Paul, the, the writer, is talking about, the fruit of the Spirit, what he's saying is the evidence of a Spirit-powered life, the evidence of a life that is open to the power of God working through it, is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Some translations say patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What a great resume. What a great list to describe your life with. These are the, the fruit. This is the characteristics. This is the flavor of someone who has the Spirit of God working in their life. How do we get that flavor? How do we get that fruit in our life? I want us to jump now into 1 Samuel, right back into the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want us to pick up the dialogue between a guy called uh, David, you might have heard of David. David becomes King David. He's the guy that takes out Goliath. And we're going to pick up the conversation just before the confrontation, the big showdown with Goliath. David is talking with the current king. His name is Saul. And they're having a vibrant discussion about who should be allowed to go out and face Goliath. Goliath has laid down the challenge. He said, you send one of your men to fight me. And if whoever wins, that is a representation of the entire battle. And uh, David is talking to Saul. He says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue, it from the, from the, uh, rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Amen. What a great word. All the animal rights people in the audience are having a conniption right now, but it's all right. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the force be... Sorry, that's the Hebrew word. May the Lord be with you. When we take a moment, we're going to pray. I want to talk on the subject this morning of little things, little things. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you. Your word is life. It is light. It illuminates the path before us. God, there are many things before us. There are many challenges. There are many blessings. But God, we thank you that your word gives us instruction in how to live our life, how to live our very best life. And God, in this series, as we look at our habits, the things that form our life, God, we pray that you would speak to us, shift things, change things. God, we give you permission to speak into our lives. God, we don't sit here full of fear or full of pride thinking that we've got all the answers, but God, we look to you this morning. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill this place, that you'd quicken this word. Lord, we'd make it easy for us to understand your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, Amen. 
Hey, on the 6th of July last year, an app was released uh, into the app store that took the world by storm. I mean, the adoption of this particular app was just extraordinary. You may have seen the evidence of this with people glued to their phone, walking out in front of moving cars, turning up uninvited to people's houses, people even turning up to C3 Church Watson in order to catch the Pokemon. Did anybody get into this, this craze called Pokemon Go? All of a sudden, people are walking around parks and through, through you know, office spaces just trying to catch these little, little things on their phone. It was a great, uh, uh, just a, a very engaging app, obviously, to get that kind of adoption. But the, the, six days later, Nintendo's share price had gone up $12 billion. $12 billion in six days. It was, it was generating over $2 million a day in in-app purchases. This was just extraordinary, this overnight phenomenon. And they tracked down the, the founder, the, the creator of Pokemon Go. His name's John Hankey. And they said to John, John, you've got to tell us what you're putting in the water. Like that is extraordinary. You've, 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 just seen a, a absolutely, you know, in, a crazy uh, uptake in this app, this overnight success. What was the key to this overnight success? He said, well, the problem with your question is that it wasn't an overnight success. That Pokemon Go took 20 years to create. 20 years! What were you doing 20 years ago? I was in high school. I wasn't working on anything I think that I would be benefiting now, but 20 years ago, they started putting the pieces together around geolocation tracking and, 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 and re- augmented reality and all these, these pieces. They started putting it together to form this application that was released on the July the 6th, 20 years later. It's amazing. But this is a powerful illustration of a dynamic principle that's at play in all areas of life. And the principle is this. You ready? Seed. To tree. Seed to tree. Big things start small. And it takes a long time for a tree to grow and to bear fruit. And what I found about God is that God likes to start things small. Everything starts small. Microsoft began in a garage during a recession. The civil rights movement was ignited by a little old lady named Rosa Parks who got on a bus and she didn't have any more back of the bus in her because that's where she had to sit. She decided she's going to sit at the front of the bus. She's like old and got her shopping. Seed. God likes to start small. He started you small, like grain of rice small. And look at you now. You dressed yourself, got yourself to church. You're doing so well. Everything that God does starts with a seed. Even the big stuff that God does starts with a seed. Even the, see, see, the sending of a Savior into the world. I mean, this is a big deal. There are hundreds of years of prof, prophecy just echoing through the airwaves that this is coming. This event is coming. God is sending someone to liberate the people of God. And in a typical kind of Hollywood, you know, Hollywood mentality, we're thinking this is going to be a big Thing. We're looking for Arnold Schwarzenegger. We're looking for, for an, an army behind this guy. We're looking for someone who, who resembles a Goliath, who, who, who has military strength. And what does God do? God finds a seemingly insignificant young lady called Mary. 
and she plants a seemingly insignificant, a seemingly insignificant seed inside of her womb. And when it's time for the baby to be born, they don't go to Jerusalem. They don't go to Rome, which was the center of the world at that time. No, no, no. They go down the road from the middle of nowhere. You have to get lost to find your way to Bethlehem. And when they get to Bethlehem, they don't go to the hospital. (laughs) No, they don't even go to the inn. No, no, no. They go out the back to a cave. And under cover of darkness, with animals as witnesses, the Savior of the world is born. Everybody say seed. So it's the little things that we need to pay attention to in our life. But our problem is that we short circuit this. We interrupt this seed to tree process because we get impatient. I was stuck in McDonald's drive-thru just over there a few weeks ago for seven minutes. I was furious. I was beyond myself. What could you possibly be doing in there that's more important than my flat white? It would seem a lot because it wasn't very good either. Coffee here is actually a lot better. Anyway, but we, we, we have a propensity to ignore seeds and chase trees. Trees. We, we have a propensity to look at the big and shiny thing. We, we scroll through people's Instagram and go, tree, wow, tree, wow, tree, wow, tree, wow. And we look at our own life and we see a bunch of seeds and we neglect the seeds. We, we, we despise the seeds because we don't really, we don't want to have to go, oh, I don't want to. I want to jump straight to the payoff without going through the process. But it's the little things. I don't know if you've heard this, this statement. It says that if you sow a thought, you reap an action. If you sow an action, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. If you sow a character, you reap a destiny. See, we all want a great destiny, but what we don't always connect the dots to is the fact that our thoughts, our actions, our habits are the things that bring forth that in our life. And that's what this series is all about. See, when we find ourselves in a pressured situation, we can start to start to look for the tree. Oh, oh I needed a tree in order to, to cling on to in, in this area of my life when the pressure creeps in on us. And you know what? Sometimes we can blame the pressure. We say, oh, it's the, it's, the, it's the water in the boat that's sinking the boat. Sure, I understand that. That's the Titanic. Yeah, yeah. But the water didn't weaken the boat. It was what ben- was beneath the surface that weakened the Titanic. And then when the pressure was applied, it no longer could withstand the water. See, I could take my garden hose and run the pressure of water through my garden hose and very quickly find out where the weakness is, where the little things have gone wrong, where where I've run the lawnmower over it or we've, we've, we've mistreated it or we didn't look after it or we left it in the sun for too long and a crack has appeared. Just a tiny, just a tiny little thing. And as soon as pressure is applied, oh my goodness, How pressure finds the weaknesses in our life so very quickly. So it's about paying attention to the little things. Here are three things that I think I I can sort of see in this dialogue between David and Saul. Saul says, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, seed. And he's been a man of war since his youth, tree. David says, 
some really interesting things in response. He says, you, you don't understand. See, behind the scenes, when no one else has been watching, I've been taking care of some stuff. And we've all got some stuff where no one else is watching. We've all got some battles. Our greatest weaknesses are the ones we spend the most time and effort and resource hiding from everybody else. And so David here is illustrating to Saul the fact that he, his private life and his public life are the same. That he is a person of integrity. That he's a person of consistency. That he's not someone who walks into a public situation and behaves differently, has a different uh, style, has a different set of habits, has a different behavior than he does when he's by himself, when he's not up in bright lights. He's hidden away on a field alone with a responsibility to look after a whole bunch of sheep and goats. And this is symbolic to us of our battles, the battles that we fight in private, the battles that we need to take care of behind the scenes, the things that we need to look after in our own life before God actually promotes us into a a different place. And see, the the devil isn't going to cook up a Goliath if he can take you out with a lion and a bear. Goliaths are a lot of resource. The Bible describes Goliath's spear as being as thick as a weaver's beam. I have no idea what that means. But it's obviously taken a lot of effort. My point here is, the devil isn't just going to keep throwing massive challenges if he can take you out with the very smallest little addiction. Just keep tripping you up on that thing. And our thing is, you know, I was, I was watching Jim Owen a few weeks ago, and he's very funny. He's, God, he's occasionally funny. And... Uh, he was very funny in this particular scene. He was talking about making cups of tea. And he said this statement that really struck me. He said, I find that when I'm by myself, I'm not at my best. Does anybody else find that? That when you're by yourself, things, they, they get a little sloppy. They don't, we, we don't maybe attend to the little things. We think we can get away with the little things. But in essence, we end up creating a weakness in our life because we let the bear and the lion take off with the sheep, thinking, oh, there's plenty more where that came from, only to find that later on there was a consequence, there's a price that all of a sudden you you find yourself with water coming through the hull of the ship and you're bailing water out instead of trying to plot the course for your life. Hmm. And so David says, I've taken care of the lion and the bear. I've taken care of things that God told me to club it to death. I've taken care of things that I needed to kill, things that I needed to put down in my life, things that I needed to let go of. See, the the interesting thing is in comparison, Saul hasn't learnt this lesson. He's actually lost his anointing because he got a taste for something that God told him to kill. There are certain things that God says to leave alone, certain things that God instructs us not to take part in, certain things that God tells us to flee, certain things that He tells us to destroy because they will intoxicate your soul. So Saul comes past, you know, he's, he's instructed to destroy all this stuff. He thinks, no, I'm going I'm to feast on it instead. I'm going to consume it instead. And he loses his anointing. What is it? What's that little thing? that God is telling you to let go of? What's the little thing in your life that God is telling you to put down? 
What's that little thing that you need to actually plant instead in your life? So the second thing that I see is not just that David had an alignment between his public and his private life, but that he was faithful to the process that God was taking him through. He didn't know Goliath was coming. He had no idea. It wasn't like God said to him, look, David, if you look after, and this is the way we always approach our career, isn't it? You know, it's like, look, if you do this and you do this, then you'll get promoted. No, no, no. There's, there's no promise of that. It's just, David, you go out and you attend to your, these sheep. And it wasn't even probably God telling him. It was probably his dad. David, you're the youngest. Therefore, you go and you do the X, Y, and Z. You, you take care of the, what a, what a hopeless career path. Like, seriously, where is there to go? I mean, there's not even a person above you. Like, it's like, it's just one of you, you know? There's, a, there's something in that for small businesses, I think. But anyway, but he decides he's going to be faithful with the, with the process. He understands there's a process. God is forming him out there. He's, he's writing psalms. He's encountering God. He's, he's making the most of what he has. He's faithful to this process that God is, is taking to him. You know what? Often when I pray, I'm not praying that God takes me through a process. I'm praying that God would change my circumstances. I don't really want heart surgery. I want my situation to have a cosmetic enhancement. Fix the situation, Lord, and then I'll be good. But no, God is more interested, not so much in my comfort, but the formation of my character, painful as it is. And so he'll let that situation simmer. He'll even turn it up a little bit because he's looking for my dependence or my trust or my character or, or whatever it is. There's a process that he's going to. See, God works both moment and process. We understand that God is the God of, he's, a, he's an encountering God. He loves to show up in our lives. He loves to turn up and do dramatic things all at once. The life of Christ is a dramatic moment. I mean, we measure time from the guy. That's how dramatic his life was. We have BC and AD that splits time in half. That, that's the definition of a defining moment. So, Jesus turns up and in a moment on that cross when he's got nails through his hands and his feet and he's, he's bleeding and suffocating to death, what's happening in that is not just a good man getting wrongfully killed. What was happening in that was a divine transaction. The Bible says that the wages of our sin, what sin? Sin is our rejection of God. Sin is the appointment of our own selves as the... We, choose our own adventure in our own life. I'll just do whatever I want at the expense of anyone, anything, anytime. And we've all had moments like that. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard for our life. And so we find ourselves separated from God. The Bible says that the wages, the result of that is death. That's pretty harsh. So what does God do instead? Instead of, instead of changing everything, instead of shuffling the deck and rigging it, no, 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 he sends Jesus to die the death. So when Jesus is on the cross, that's why it's such a big deal. <laughs> when he's on the cross, he's taking your penalty. He's taking the penalty. He's paying the price that should have been upon us. That's why we call it the grace of God. Because we didn't deserve that. That should have been us. And so when Jesus, in a moment, we're set free from the penalty of sin. So when you, when you, engage your heart with Jesus, when you open yourselves up to the lordship, to the leadership of, of Jesus Christ, 
that moment you transfer the penalty that was on you through Christ, you're set free. That's why we sing about it. That's why we constantly harp on about it because in that moment, everything changes. But then there's a layer that you walk into. You walk through the cross into this layer of being saved. So you are saved, right? I am saved from the penalty of sin, but then I'm being saved from the power of sin in my life. Because I still find that even though I, I come to church and I worship Jesus and I gave my heart to him, I went to stand on 25 altar calls in a row, I still find that there are certain things that tug on my heart, that pull my flesh, that want me. So Paul writes about this in, in 1 Corinthians. He says that, you know what? <laughs> the very things that I want, I want to do, I don't do. And the very things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, man, what am I going to do? And we all have this. But God is taking us through a process of setting us free from different things. And there are some things that have been ingrained as habits in our life. Places you keep visiting, things you keep looking at, shopping trips you keep going on, food you keep eating, relationships you keep breaking, things you keep saying. Whatever it is, God is trying to put his finger on that in this series. He's going hunting in your heart. And the thing is that any change in our life that isn't connected at a heart level is doomed to fail. I give you your New Year's resolutions. How are they going, guys? They're all right. Still going to the gym, eating well. God is forming things in us that may not have come naturally but they become second nature to us. So the, the guy who landed the plane on the Hudson River, they made the movie Sully about him, you know, the guy that saved all those hundreds of people. And they, they said in the news report, I still remember the day, they said, miracle on the Hudson, miracle on the Hudson. And it was extraordinary. I'm just not sure that it's a miracle if the guy flying the plane has been trained and been doing it for like 25 years. If I was flying the plane... And I successfully landed it on the Hudson and saved 200 people's lives. We'd be calling that a miracle. Absolutely. It's like when Michael Jordan would take the game-winning shot in a basketball game and he'd, you know, make it. And they'd say, oh, it's a miracle. No, no, no. If the towel boy had taken the shot and it had gone in, that's a miracle. So we like to prefer this sort of like, you know, spontaneous uh, miracle working power of God than to accredit the process of the little things in our life. See, because he'd trained himself as a pilot, because he'd been through the simulators, because he'd been in that seat for hundreds and hundreds of hours, he was able to land the plane on the Hudson River. What are the little things that God is trying to form in us? It's just tiny things. It's an everyday thing. It's a consistency that all of a sudden the things that weren't natural to me have now become second nature, like generosity. <laughs> oh, man, that doesn't come naturally, does it? Have you ever tried to teach children how to be generous? Wait, but that's mine. Yes, but I want you to share it with them. No, that's a stupid idea. I'm not doing that. And I won't have it, will I? <laughs> Doesn't come naturally. Have you ever uh, tried to teach a child how to forgive or how to say sorry? These are things that don't come naturally. 
but God wants to form them as a second nature in you. The third thing isn't just being about faithful to the process of God, but it's being aware that you've got help. So it says that David had the Lord with him. He said, the Lord rescued me. And then, and then Saul says, well, may the Lord be with you on this, this occasion as well. There's this understanding that it's not just our willpower. It's not, just, it's not just me just motivating myself and in front of a mirror every morning saying, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And then running out to the car and driving as fast as I can to work. And yeah, I can do this. No, no, no. It's about understanding that there is help, that there is a secret ingredient. You know, KFC uh, have the uh, delicious 11 her- secret herbs and spices. If you, are you aware of these? If you're not yet aware of the KFC original recipe, do yourself a favor. Head down to Dixon. Is it Dixon Shops? There's a KFC this afternoon. And give your taste buds a high five. <laughs> you know what was so interesting about this uh, particular secret recipe? They would keep uh, half of the ingredients in one safe and half of the ingredients in another safe. And they were operated by different companies in the ni- you know, from the 50s you know, through to the 90s and, and onwards. And I think now they've cracked it, but... But a lot of, I think a lot of people, and particularly even Christians, we can go through life thinking that we've got to make this happen. That Jesus has done everything. Oh, okay, Jesus, you paid the penalty. And now I, I still find that there's this tug on my heart that I'm not free from the power of sin. God, would you set me free from the power and the presence of sin? Well, he will set you free from the presence of sin when you get to heaven. But right now there's this struggle and this battle. Like there's these things that constantly creep in there. It's like, God, with willpower alone, I can't seem to get myself free from these things. Well, here's the good news is that God sends the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit. See, the disciples were freaking out when Jesus said he was going to go. They absolutely were freaking out. They were like, you're not going anywhere, are you? Are we just getting started? So, no, no, if I don't go, I can't send the Holy Spirit. There's something better coming. The Holy Spirit comes upon our life, and he is the one who helps us produce the right fruits in our life. You'll notice in Galatians Chapter 5, verse 22. Whose fruit is it? Holy Spirit's fruit. That's how you get that fruit in your life. It's not by going at it your own. Not by being Chuck Norris and thinking, I can do everything, you know. Apparently death had a new Chuck Norris experience once, which is... (laughs) But we understand that the Holy Spirit is our God guide. He's our counsel. He's our empowerer. He's our helper. So when we find ourselves confronted by that habit that has held our attention and our focus and our behavior and our actions and our thoughts for so long, we say, God, would you help me? Holy Spirit, can you help me? This habit that I don't want in my life anymore, this thing that is holding me back, that is causing me to be consumed by shame, guilt, and condemnation constantly. God, I want to be free from this thing. And the Holy Spirit provides power. Do you want to know what sort of level of power? The Bible says it's the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave power. So we're not talking about, you know, one cylinder engine, just a little. We're talking about the power that can overcome death. 
And whatever you're struggling with, whatever your junk you brought in the trunk this morning, whatever that weakness is that you spend all your time trying to hide from everyone else, God wants to work on that. He's putting his finger on it right now and he's saying, let me help you. Let me help you get free from that thing. Because there are far bigger things in front of you. Let's take out the lions and the bears right now. I want us to take a moment. We're going to pray. And we're going to do some business with God. And I'm not going to try to embarrass anybody or anything like that. But I know that in this moment, if you get real with God, he'll get real with you. And if you're eager for the Holy Spirit to come upon your life so that you can produce this kind of fruit in your world, that's a prayer he answers. So right here, right now, I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads so that we can give a sense of privacy to everyone else around us, but also so that we can just block out the distractions that may compete for our attention. Jesus, we look to you right now. We thank you, Jesus, that in a moment you set us free from the penalty of sin. We thank you that we have been reconciled with God in heaven. That we don't need to pay that price, Jesus, because you already have. And Jesus, we are so thankful this morning. We don't pretend to take that lightly. We don't pretend to gloss over that. We don't pretend to, to skip over that and shove that to the side. But Jesus, we are so thankful for freedom from the penalty of sin. But God, if we're real with you this morning, there are things in our life that still captivate our attention too much. Things that are dragging us off course, things that are causing us to trip over, things that are filling our heart with all sorts of negativity. And God, we want to be free from that too. We want to be free from the power of these things over our life, the power of some habits that have formed, some things that we keep on doing. God, we want to be free from that. God, God, we don't want to pretend we can do it alone. We've tried willpower. We've tried revving our motivation. We've tried revving our inspiration to the very maximum of its capacity, and yet we still find ourselves tripping over these things. Holy Spirit, we need you this morning. So for every heart that is open right now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come. You would pour out your spirit upon them. God, you would give them an abundance of your spirit so that they might be able to overcome these things. God, these things that have held power, Lord, no longer have power. We declare a new day. We declare freedom for the captives. We declare a recovery of sight for the blind. We, we, Lord, we, we, we claim freedom in this place this morning. We thank you, Lord, that the battle isn't over. These lions and bears are going to have, have, have our attention, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus, that you're causing us, you're calling us forward into a place of triumph, into a place of victory this day. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.